be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. Nothing inspires people more than reaching for the sky in the sky, and investors aren't any different. For most Americans, nothing says success, says making it, like owning property big property, especially if it's commercial real estate. But building buildings isn't just the work of the rich, private individuals, or for that matter, the president. It's also increasingly the province of groups of investors, and even more amazingly, the little guy. With the advent of crowdfunding, everyday investors are binding together online to buy prime real estate from the middle of Manhattan to the beaches of Los Angeles. At the forefront of this is Fundrise, which according to Forbes, runs the country's leading online real estate crowdfunding platform. On it, investors can create an account, put as little as $500 down, and invest in a piece of a portfolio of investments that Fundrise has helped to sponsor. And the company has been extremely popular, racking up a slew of positive ratings and accolades, which had me curious. I wanted to know a little bit more about the company and the business, and of course, the regs that make it all happen. So I decided to catch up with the founder and CEO of the company, Ben Miller, to learn more. Ben, thanks so much for joining us today. We're not in a penthouse studio in the sky, but in a podcast booth here at CQ Roll Call. But we really appreciate you making it out to our studio. Thanks for having me. Okay, so... How would you describe your business, and and how exactly does Fundrise work? Because I think context is important, especially in terms of differentiating uh, uh, online real estate investing, this, this new form of financial technology, or at least really, I guess, now maturing form of, of financial technology, and distinguishing it from traditional commercial real estate investing. So what do you do? I like to call us the Charles Schwab of real estate. So most people don't own real estate. Most people own lots of stocks and bonds, really common for them to have a portfolio of stocks. Uh, it's much less common for people to own real estate, unless you're very wealthy or an institution. You know, Big institutions like multi-billion dollar endowments hold 10, 20% of their, of their assets in, in real estate. And most people have either no exposure or only have a house. And so we're trying to basically democratize access to it, low cost, transparent, using technology. So, so what, what does that mean in terms of you're, you're using technology? So how exactly is this designed to get more people access to, to real estate in investments? In some ways, it's, for, it's intuitive. You have an app on your phone. You may go to the internet. The way you might buy a stock where you, you, know, you go on and click a button you don't expect to pay anything in commissions. You basically expect it to be really easy and very transparent. That's what we're doing with real estate. I mean, you could go on to your phone, download our app, and own some real estate in a bunch of cities in America in less than a minute. Now, that's a radical departure from what you normally imagine from a process of staking out property, finding a real estate broker, maybe a lawyer, waiting 30 days for a closing. Uh, pushing a button on an app is definitely 
making things easier or, and, and certainly faster. But let me just jump ahead a little bit. Uh, how vulnerable do you think this kind of financial technology is when the economy starts to slow? I mean, we don't know when or the eventual fallout, but we certainly know a slowdown will come. And when it does, it's going to impact all kinds of investments. Yeah, you have to recognize that downturns coming, and it's just a question of when. Uh, and and you, the ideal way you approach it is you want to take the best practices of, of, of how you manage your, your investment institutional practice, which might be diversification, your fund management structure, how you, how you think about debt. You take the best of institutional investing, and you take the best of technology, which is more transparency, better information flow, lower cost. Clearly, great investment practice with great technology is better than great investment practice without technology. Can you basically do both really well? I, I think that, that that's the mandate of fintech. It's finance and tech. And, and how broad is, you know, the, this particular sector and industry now, you know, from 2012? Is that what's different? You know, I, I know that there's a, a realty mogul and all these other platforms. Is what is differentiating you from the realty moguls and from these other platforms, is it investment strategy or is it the technology itself? People bunch us together and they're saying, oh, fintech, real estate, but there's a lot of different kinds of models. And, you know, our model is, you know, we want to have mass market, economies of scale, lower the cost of intermediation, and produce a product that basically people can rely on. That's not actually what most of the other platforms are doing. They have different hypotheses of what's right. I believe that you will only know what's right and also what um, wins after the next downturn. The next downturn will do, I think, two things. One, it will tell you what, what's the right model. And two, it's going to be coming out of the next downturn that fintech wins against the traditional guys. So it's only in a downturn can you really disrupt finance. You can't disrupt finance at the top of the market. There's too much money. That excess in capital obfuscates basically what the bad decisions are. Right? We all know that from 08. It's happening again today. You know, we can't take the market until there is a recession. I guess one corollary to that is that we do have new models that are being used by both the incumbents as well as the fintechs and the upstarts. And a lot of the new models, as well as the new technology, hasn't yet been tested in a time of financial stress, right? So it's also the question of just figuring out you know, how do you respond to a world where despite all the computational power that you may have, your data is, is, is incomplete because you haven't finished an entire uh, economic cycle? How do fintechs navigate that and how do they compare, I guess, to some of their incumbent uh, uh, competitors? Yeah. I mean, there's, I have two things to say about that. I think both are, 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 are relevant. First is that the idea of democratizing something, democratizing real estate investing, for example, people think about, oh, you're giving like, someone access to investment. But I think American Revolution, think Jacksonian Revolution, you're giving people who didn't have land the right to vote, civil rights, women's suffrage. Democratization is fundamentally about a group of elites thinks that another group of people shouldn't have the right to do something. And then basically we discover that democracy is still the best form of, uh, of best model 
Every time it happens, though, the elite group says, well, I'm a little worried about this, you know, this group. I don't think that they are. It's not sophisticated. They shouldn't have these rights. And so I, the second part of it, my, my answer is that you have to trust your customer and, trust, and your customer has to trust you. So it's built on transparency, owning the good and the bad. And that's something that I would say the incumbents didn't do a great job in 08. I don't believe they're doing a good job now generally. And so combining those two, I would say philosophies, is how we think about the solution to a downturn. When you say that that some incumbents and, and some folks aren't doing that very well, like what exactly that is it that you think they're not doing well? Was it just uh, in terms of, is this a credit risk question or is it just in terms of their interface with their clients? Is this uh, kind of... Well, I mean, it's the two pieces of it. One, generally big companies are afraid of transparency. It's, not some, it's something that is maybe technology companies are better at, although as they've gotten bigger, they're not as good as it <laughs> anymore. It less, right? uh, so, so an incumbent is generally afraid of of uh, uh, of change. And second is that I don't believe the incumbents trust the small investor. They don't. They don't. They they believe that they need to hand over their authority and judgment to the to the elites, to the to the, to the big guys. And you know, uh, I don't think it went that well in 08. Uh, and so I think that pattern repeats. That's why it's called a cycle. But it's still fundamentally what they believe. So, so in a way, you can think, okay, ultimately crowdfunding came from this idea that you need to democratize access, as you said, to the good and the bad, right? You know, on the one hand, you want to democratize access to investments, investments um, that would theoretically, you know, as long as they're adequately supervised, help to diversify portfolios and to give people an opportunity to invest in things that were traditionally reserved for the most wealthy. And, you know, there have been a lot of conversations about IPOs and how IPOs are now very, very late stage and that by the time real, um, uh, you know, that the average investor is able to invest in an IPO, the company is the size of Uber and all the value had already been created. Um, do, do you think that, you know, these kinds of opportunities is are, are analogous to it, or is there something different about real estate investing um, uh, in terms of uh, the timeline where an individual should or should not be able to unlock the value from you know putting their capital, putting their their savings to work? Yeah, so I get that question from a customer because they say, "What's the difference between you know Vanguard REIT index and Fundrise, right? Because the, the Vanguard REIT holds I, I, real estate. That's right. Right. So I mean, there's, a, there's, it's obviously highly correlated with the stock market, but underneath of that, the public real estate company is a mature late stage investment. It's like IBM, and we try to do the more early stage or high growth investments, like a Airbnb, you know, or Google. You want it, so they're they're both real estate, remote, both tech. But they're just you're coming into it in a different place, and but I would assume that there's more risk than than involved, right? Because you're getting in earlier involved in the investment. It's a different kind of risk. I, I, you know, I think IBM or late stage companies have risk too. They decline. So is it? it and so you want to do both, and you want to diversify, and think of a portfolio theory, and that's that's how I think about it. So a, an investor should have a diversified portfolio that includes high growth real estate, just like you should include actually some diversified high growth tech. How to do high growth tech is outside my expertise. Well, I guess I guess uh, when you look at uh, I guess part of real estate investing is sort of thinking, well, where's the demographic change going, right? Yeah. And the location of South Central 
It's, I mean, for, it was actually funny because an outsider, I was like, why do people in LA not recognize that South Central is the, it's like basically exactly where Hollywood is. It's, it's so central. Everything in LA is about the car, yeah, traffic. Yeah, yeah. Traffic's the worst part of it. Why do they think that you're going to go further and further northeast? And, and the only reason I believe that they, they didn't recognize it was basically racial bias, historical racial bias. And that's what every emerging neighborhood in every city I mean, for the last 20 years, has been that narrative. And so it was so obvious Noma to us. was our story here. Yeah, so and, obvious to us. Yeah. So I just basically, in H Street and Logan Circle. So that's what we started doing. And 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 now, like, Mass Appeal shows up and Sweet Green moved their headquarters there. Apple announced they're, they're going to put their content headquarters there. So now it's, like, more obvious, but it was definitely not as obvious a couple years ago. The interesting thing about all of it is that with crowdfunding, you know, the internet comes along. And all of a sudden, you have all these smart, interesting people who are saying, huh, this is a new way that I can both find investors and also communicate with people about the kinds of investment opportunities that there are, right? And then you have this, like, New Deal regulatory structure from 1933, and they're like, I don't, you know, in 1933, no one had anticipated the Internet. So how do you make sure that people can get the information that they need while at the same time protecting them from, you know, from from charlatans, right? And so they had to come up and rethink just literally how do you communicate with, with people. But the crowdfunding industry comes up and arises, as, you, as, as with Fundrise, almost simultaneously to these new regs like the, the Jobs Act getting unfold, unfolded. So it's like you don't usually have in real time this example of an industry growing up at the exact same time as these, these new – Experimental, really, uh, financial rules and regulations are, are getting set up, and 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 whether or not people are thinking about it or not thinking about it when they're doing their business, it's totally shaping business practices. And so it's a it's a weird experiment of sorts. Right, but I actually think it's it's more common than you might realize because both are coming from the same problem. You have a financial crisis. How do you innovate? How do you address it? And so the regulators and political, you know, politicians are trying to think about that. Entrepreneurs are thinking about that. And I mean, there was no money in in 2009, 2010, 2010. So it's it's actually exact same movement, but manifesting in different sectors. Certainly, you want to raise money because in 2008, 2009, the economy is completely destroyed, and people, small businesses, are looking for ways to to access credit. And Congress sort of says, "Well, here's a new way." In a world of in which banks are not willing to lend. Here's a new way that you can raise money by kind of cutting out some of the middlemen and, and going straight online to get the access to capital that that that, that you need. Uh, that's the idea, and then and then something that we're working on that's going to be really interesting. Uh, it's still very early. Is that people think about this as a channel access, and that's how people used to think about internet, right? Internet, some internet mall. I remember internet malls in 2000. Um, so, but you look at the internet's history goes from channel to network. So it's not that you have access to people, it's that people are, have access to each other. And if you, can, if you can transform investing from a top-down product to a network product, then it's completely transformed. And that's the more deep potential of what we're trying to do. Uh, ben, thanks so much for joining us. It's a really interesting conversation. Thanks, Chris. Crowdfunding is going mainstream, and as it does, we're seeing not only newfangled gadgets and platforms, but also newfangled services 
and services that can create entirely new capital structures as well as relationships between investors and with sponsors of investments. It's going to be interesting to see how it all fares as economic cycles change and to see whether legacy institutions will end up falling behind or having the last laugh. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer, DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.